Welcome to Revenue Jam, powered by Sales Assembly. With monthly live sessions, interviews with our executive team, and exclusive conversations with revenue leaders across B2B tech, this podcast is guaranteed to help you close the skill gaps across your entire go-to-market team. If you're looking for weekly, relevant, and timely content like this, go ahead and subscribe. Let's get into this episode. Sales territories, they give every sales leader heartache. How do you build them and how often should you revisit them? Let's dig into those details during this episode of Closing Time, the show for go-to-market leaders. I'm Dave Osborne, Chief Sales Officer at Insightly, and I'm joined by Brad Rosen, President of Sales Assembly. Welcome to the show, Brad. Thanks. Great to be here. So, Brad, back in the day, life was pretty straightforward when it came to territories, right? You got a map and you just drew up different geographies that made sense, but times are changing, right? In the era of more remote work, is that even a realistic approach or, you know, how, how should, how should leaders be thinking about this? Yeah, I guess no more yellow pages, you know, just like, all right, take the, take the letter H, but yeah, I mean, I think it is very different. And I do think what's interesting is it's almost like the pendulum swung and I, I feel like it's sort of starting to swing back a little bit, but, uh, I think a lot of times when we thought about territories, when we started to look at remote work and, and folks living in different places, especially reps living in different places, we, we kind of threw that out the window and said, well, let's just make sure that we have potentially equitable books and making sure that everything makes sense from like a time zone perspective. So I do think time zone is actually a very big deal, right? We don't uh, want necessarily someone handling New York when they're on the West Coast because they're not waking up for potentially three hours after your prospects and customers are. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Um, and when we think about going to see customers, that that stopped for a long time. But I do believe that that's actually an advantage right now if you're going to see customers, uh, prospects, and having meetings. I think it's a lot easier to churn off of, of tools, to ghost people, to do all these things that like ideally is not are not happening. But it's easier to do when you don't have a relationship with the person. You haven't met them. You don't know about what makes them tick, what they enjoy doing, about their family, things like that. When you build a relationship with someone, you have a lot better opportunity to help them through their their ch- challenges and problems, and you're going to keep, you know, um, the hopefully the business relationship going. So as far as territories, I do think it's important to think about how can we at least create pockets where if you want to go visit a certain city or a certain place, you'll have a handful of meetings to be able to do that. Um, and I also think that it's very challenging these days because your prospects and customers are also in different places. So just because your headquarters says you're in New York City, you know, your VP of sales, your head of finance could be in Bozeman, Montana or Jacksonville or like anywhere. Uh, we don't really know. So are you breaking up your territories by headquarter, by where your target buyer is? Um, there's a lot of different factors to consider. For sure. And I mean, it also has something to do with the corporate maturity of your business, right? If you're a startup, like I think about territories, there's somewhat of like a spectrum, right? If you're a startup, uh, maybe you're more on the wild, wild west side, right? Where you don't need as much rigidity to how you're deploying territories versus if you're, you know, a much more mature company or a public company, you know, perhaps you're at a point of certain scale where you need to have very defined uh, territories, right? Defined guardrails. So when I think about that, there's a lot of ways people approach it, right? When you're trying to segment accounts, right? We talked about geographies. There's also vertical approach. You know, you can do named accounts if you're if 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 you're up to it to have the RevOps team to support it. There's dynamic territories is a new way that people are doing it. So if you're going about doing this, what factors do you consider when when carving that up? 
Uh, first, I, I would use your current data if you can, if you have enough data and you're confident in the data, right? Let's let, let's understand exactly where our best customers are coming from. And not just like most customers, like the most customers are in this city, but when we say best customers, we're talking about conversion rates and how long it takes them to get through the sales cycle on average, how much they're paying. Are they retaining? Are they ups? Are you able to upsell them? Those are your best customers, right? Like there's more that goes into it than just, I can sell them really quickly. Um, so I would take all of that into account. And then I would start to look at the different factors, like you said, um, that probably um, make somebody a good candidate. They're in your target ICP. Maybe they're in an industry or a company size that makes sense to you, potentially a, a geography. And then we start to look at the product, right? Folks who maybe integrate with a, a different solution or have, you know, like they have Salesforce or they have HubSpot or they have Insightly or they have all these other tools, like which one's right for me and my prospect. I want to make sure that I'm focused on those folks um, because they are going to be better to, to sign up. And so when you're talking about equating different books and making them equitable, I typically say like, you can start with what you think is right. Like you're typically not far off with the top three or five different, uh, you know, focal points. Now, if you really want to go deep, you could start to run a regression model. Um, and you can do that. I think that's very valuable. But what you're typically going to find is like the three to five that you thought were really important. Those are obviously um, typically show up high. And then there's probably like two or three or four other factors that you didn't think about that might play into um, making the books equitable. Absolutely. So maybe a trick question for you, um, but it's kind of one of those chicken and egg kind of thoughts, Brad. So uh, are the best reps the best because they have the best territory? Right. Like I know a lot of sales leaders struggle with this. Should the best AEs get the best territories or do you think it's better to have evenly distributed counts across the team? It's a uh, that's a tough question. I actually <laughs> um, I made a post about this a, a little while back. But uh, let me say this. I understand the premise of the best reps should get the best accounts because in theory, you would have the best chance of closing, which should drive the most revenue. I think the downstream effects of that are really challenging. One, it's really hard to to like you said, determine, is that because of the accounts that they're the best or is that because of they're actually the best? And like, if you're giving someone not as good accounts, then obviously, like if someone has the best accounts, somebody doesn't have the best accounts, how do you measure their performance? Um, you'd probably have to adjust their quotas and are you doing that in a equitable fashion? But I would most importantly say like the culture that that drives, I think is challenging. It, it, it's a very dog eat dog culture. And you're now competing against your peers to become that best, to get the best territory. And so you're less likely to help somebody out, to root them on, to try and get them to their quota so that you can both you know, go on club together. Like there's a lot of benefits to having equitable books and hopefully allowing for, excuse me, collaboration and um, teamwork. And so I think that that outweighs, um, in my opinion, the ability to um, give the best reps the best books. And that makes it much easier to understand performance management. Uh, if everybody's supposed to have this virtually the same territory, then like, how are we performing against each other? That's easier to equate. That does not mean though, I want to be like perfectly clear. That doesn't mean that there aren't other opportunities for top reps, right? So that could mean if we're testing out the enterprise market, maybe they're the ones that get to test it out if we're selling the mid-market right now. Or if there's certain inbound opportunities from a big client that comes through one of our executives, maybe they get the chance to, to kind of take that deal and run with it. 
because we feel good about what they're doing. We want to reward that positive, you know, we want to reward that, um, you know, the production of the top reps. So I do think that there's ways to reward their top reps to get more out of them, um, but still ensure that everybody has an equal opportunity to hit their goals, to make money and to continue to progress their career. Completely agree. Side note, for any reps, high-performing, experienced AEs out there interviewing for a new job, make sure to ask about your territory. That's right. Before and in the negotiation, I think it's a critical part to like how they're setting you up for success. Right. But yeah. What's this territory? Is it new? Is it a new territory? Am I taking over for somebody else? How picked through has it been? Yes. You know, because as, as as we were scaling, we would always put aside uh, one or two books, you know, depending on how many folks we were looking to add to the team that time period right. um, for new folks. But a lot of companies don't do that. They just say, well, we have six people on the team. We're going to build six territories. Now, what happens when the seventh comes in? Either they get lower, you know, lower uh, accounts based on, you know, the scoring model, or you have to start ripping out from other reps and that becomes messy. So I agree. Yeah. What's right. my territory? Wh- who had this territory before? What was their attainment? Um, all those questions. And if they can't answer those questions, uh, that's probably that's an right. answer in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, that's a flag. I mean, similar to, you know, if you're a sales leader interviewing for a new job, you want to understand the context, you know, right? Is this a backfill for someone that you let go? Is this a net new? If you're an AE, you should want to know similar context about the territory that they're projecting that you inherit, yeah, right? Exactly. Is it net new? Is what, what is the context there? Because, I mean, it could be a great company, great product, but if it's a kind of a piecemeal territory, it could be a, a tough road to hitting your number. That's right. right? Um, so, you know, as leaders, this is not a topic that we like to address often, right? We often think of territories as like a set it and forget it, but realistically that's not going to cut it. Right. So can you talk a little bit about the redistribution frequency? Like how often should we be reevaluating books of business? Yeah. Um, First, I'd like to say that I do think reevaluating and redistributing books is a healthy practice. I think that like a new voice, um, potentially new eyes, new tactics, things like that can a lot of times spur conversations that weren't happening in the past. So I do think that there's a benefit to that. Um, so I do think you should not just like set it and leave it for three or four years or something. Um, I don't think most people do that, but like <laughs> just saying if you were, like I probably wouldn't. You also have to think about your sales cycle length. So if your your sales cycle length is is three months, you're probably a general rule of thumb like two to three x like what your sales cycle length. Well, give it a few turns here, right? Um, so if your sales cycle length is three months, you probably need six to nine months at least of sitting in the book. Versus if you look at an enterprise deal that maybe takes a year, you can't give just a year to sell that deal. Like you you would <laughs> um, basically sell nothing, um, and then you got to go start all over again. So you probably need two or three years with that book to really be able to dig in and do it the right way. So you want to find a multiple that works for you um, in in kind of in that range, and then go find redistribution. One thing about redistribution that I found helpful in the past, um, allowing for what what we called keeper accounts. You know, making sure that folks that are, are making traction, maybe they're on the you know ten or five yard line of certain accounts. You don't want to just go rip that out because like that's bad for obviously your rep, but it's also bad for the customer. They're really close; they've had good conversations. Um, maybe they have a good relationship with this rep, and now you're changing it. Like that's not a good experience. So have some number of accounts that those reps can keep. Obviously, everybody gets that opportunity, so it's equitable. But uh, and then you'd have to re- make sure that the books are still. Um, equitable after that. But I do think finding ways to 
allow the team um, to continue to work certain accounts that they feel good about is also just like a really good practice. So Brad, how do you balance that? Um, Cause that's, that's a tricky one, right? Like as an AE and I'm guessing at once upon a time you were an AE as well, like the accounts that you manage, I mean, that's everything to you, right? I think I can think of in a lot of experiences, I, I used to get Christmas cards from these customers, <laughs> right? So losing these accounts was a really tough practice, right? And now being in, the leadership seat, it's like, we understand that we do have to redistribute books, right? To make sure that we're scaling the company appropriately. But how do you balance that with, you know, reps that obviously don't want to lose these accounts, but this is for the greater good of the business. Like what's, what's your approach or what do you consider when addressing that difficult problem? Yeah. Um, I do think it's important to, to think about um, if you're, if you're switching accounts of current customers, I think that's a different practice than if you're all new business focused. Uh, current Good customers, call. we don't want to disrupt as much as possible. We want to keep consistency there because that's actually like a very high uh, trigger for churn is multiple CSMs and different points of contact and losing contacts. So uh, that's probably like a whole separate discussion that we could have. Um, but let's just focus on new business for a minute here. Um, I do think it's challenging. And so that's why maybe like some of that keeper stuff can help out. Uh, but I also do think it's one of those like things tend to come out in the wash. Like you're going to find really good accounts that you are given. Um, and also what you mentioned around making sure that we believe that everybody has the opportunity to to hit quota. So for instance, we brought in those few reps that we talked about before, making sure again that the, the books are equitable across everybody after say a fiscal year. Um, and then also thinking about other ways that we can infuse new accounts into those books. So potentially we expanded our ICP, potentially we said each person only had 200 accounts and now we'll give you 300. So there's also ways to increase the territory, increase the book size to give larger opportunities. Um, but yes, I think overall, you're probably going to win some and lose some. And hopefully you've uh, set up the plan and the territory so that in general, folks are winning more than they're losing or else then there's probably um, something that you could do differently. Yeah, that's a, a great point. Thanks for calling that out. And I think, you know, another thing that I've seen is uh, the common complaint from AEs and just, we, this could be more of a side note here, but typically if your company's growing and scaling rapidly, territories are shrinking, right? And if your company is maybe not growing as well as you hoped, that's where territories maybe get bigger. So, you know, keep that in mind, AEs, is that every year I hear AEs complaining, hey, my book is shrinking this and this. Well, that's because your company's growing. It's actually typically a good sign. So don't be super disheartened by that if that's the case. Um, so as we think about redistributing books, right, like what are some of the pros and cons that leaders should be aware of and maybe get ahead of when they're going about this, this process? Yeah, um, it's definitely finding out if there's any reason why you should continue on a certain account. We talked about that enough. Um, I think there's also probably opportunities to give, we used to allow like, and it sounds kind of wild west out there, but like trades, for instance. So if you found an account that you, it wasn't necessarily a keeper, but you know, I really wanted that account or I knew them. If you could find another AE to kind of get that back and you'd be like, Hey, I'll take this account from that account. It kind of made it a little fun. Um, and then we would check it to make sure that, like there was still a quality within the book or at least within reason. Um, but I do think that's interesting because, like I said, it, you, we, this goes back to our discussion about giving the best accounts to the best reps. If you're in that situation, you're not trading accounts. Like, that's not happening, right? Because, like, you're competition. 
Um, whereas when everybody's equitable and you're trying to help each other out, one account doesn't mean anything to me, but it means it to you, then I'll give you that account. Um, I'll go after this other one. And the next time when I want an account, you know, you'll get me back. So um, I do think it's it's figuring out where are those pain points where if somebody lost a certain account, it would feel it wouldn't feel good. And they feel like they have an opportunity to close that account. So I think that that's important. Um, I do think it is important to understand if there are opportunities or um, ways that creating a certain territory would impact the business. So for instance, if I'm spending some of my time in San Francisco and some of my time in Chicago, um, then maybe I should have accounts in those two places, right? As opposed to just one of those places. Um, so I would think about, are there opportunities to maximize certain territories for certain reps given you know, their situation as well? And, and maybe even like their background. So they have a background in a certain industry, um, maybe we want to make sure they have that you know territory of industries. Um, and if they have you know certain customers that they have a relationship with, are there opportunities for them to to get those accounts as well? So trying to find optimization points um, is really important. A lot of variables to consider. Uh, all right, Brad. Well, thank you so much for these insights. Super helpful stuff. That's all the time we have for this episode. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Dave. It was great to chat with you today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Revenue Jam. If you want more practical tips and sales leadership advice, join us for our monthly live sessions. You can join in the conversation with Todd, Sam, Jen, and Matt every single month by going to lp.salesassembly.com slash live. And if you're looking for a solution to upskill your entire go-to-market team, check out salesassembly.com slash tour to see an ungated interactive demo. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode.